Hello and welcome to a special episode of Half Court and Midrange. We've gone through the entire conference finals and we're on to the NBA finals and it is a big surprise to us because we picked really wrong in our initial predictions. Uh, the Cavaliers easily made it um, against the Warriors, which we did predict. Um, and so, yeah, we're going to do, a, we got an exciting podcast for you. We have a special guest uh, who might be joining us pretty soon here. Uh, and we're also going to give our finals predictions. Uh, this is Court. I'm Ray. So we have Josh Myers here on the line. Hey, Josh, how's it going? This is Court. This is Ray. Hey, how's it going? Good. Thanks for joining us tonight, Josh. Um, Absolutely. We, my pleasure. We're just in the process of introducing you, um, uh, but you could probably do a better self. Can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Oh, all right. Well, I went to UVA, and I knew uh, Court and Ray at UVA, and um, we have kept in touch quite frequently um, after school, and we, we we have a keen interest in sports, and they asked me to come on and talk about the NBA and a lot of what's going on there. Yes, yes. All right, so we have. And we have... I am a statistician as well, so I I I have done some work and dabbled in in baseball statistics, so I have a little I have a little bit of a perspective there to offer potentially. So from that perspective, yes, an excellent resume. Indeed, yeah. and we have well, we, we're excited to have you on, Josh. Uh, we definitely have some questions that we'd like to ask you. Um, Ray has a few of them here, I think. Yeah. So, so first off, uh, we just finished up the Western Conference Finals. Um, hmm. Both Court and I uh, correctly predicted Bad. that the Warriors were going to win, um, and they did. Uh, we also know you're a, a big supporter and fan and believer in the Spurs. Um, so I'd just I like am. to hear your thoughts about what happened in the series, and uh, yeah, what do you think? This series was incredibly disheartening for me. I had a hard time watching after the first game. I watched in bits and pieces after that. I watched the fourth game, hoping we'd put up some kind of a fight. But once we lost Kawhi, we were a different team. That first game was more like a continuation of the last game versus the Rockets. And we were just hitting on all cylinders, blowing out the Warriors. And then we had a controversial play with uh, Jaja or Zaza or however you say his name and uh, Kawhi. And, you know, I don't want to, you know, waste any more time talking about that. That's been talked about everywhere for, you know, weeks. But I mean, how would the series have been different? I'm someone that believes sincerely that, the Spurs would have had a great chance to win the series with Kawhi in the lineup. In my opinion, I know you guys talked about this a few uh, podcasts ago, but in my opinion, Kawhi Leonard is the MVP this year because yeah. he plays on both sides of the ball. I agree with Ray 100% on that. Um, uh, he's not going to put up the hero ball stats that uh, James Harden and, and Russell Westbrook were putting up, but uh, Kawhi Leonard, in my opinion, should be the MVP based on his, on his all-around performance. 
And we could see from that series how much better he made the Spurs when he was on the court. It was incredible. And if you look at the more advanced statistics, he's right there at the top of the league and, and, and player efficiency rating. So you can so you can tell the kind of impact he made on this team. It's incredible how much better he's even gotten since two years ago. And if he can perform at this level for five or six more years, the Spurs are going to be competitive every year in the playoffs as long as they have a good group of guys around him. The series incredibly disappointing for me because I thought they really had a chance. I hate the word with a passion. Repeat, hate, capital. Yeah. H-A-T-E. I hate them. Um, It's hard to – and this – can I say a little bit about this year's playoffs? They've been hard to watch on many different uh, levels. We had, you know, really only three teams that had a chance to win uh, NBA championship. Um, Warriors and Cavs sailed through with – with uh, little competition. There were some injuries uh, uh, on both sides uh, with both of those teams and in, in opponents they faced. So they weren't even playing the best of the opponents that, that they had in their conference, and they were already arguably the best team in each conference. So now we're getting to the finals. We finally have a good matchup. But this, I mean, these playoffs were either teams that were also Rams or they were teams that we knew who was going to win the series before they played. I still love to watch the NBA, just like I would like to watch Floyd Mayweather box, even though I know what the result is going to be. It's, it's, a, beautiful, it's a beautiful game to watch when you don't have a lot of the isolation play. That's why I love the Spurs. Just this year, the Spurs wasn't our year. If we, if we, if we had Kawhi in the playoffs, it would likely, I think, or at least give us a much better chance at least to beat uh, the Warriors, and that was disappointing. For a second, it sounded like you were going to say it was likely that they would beat the Warriors. I, I believe, but see, I, I'm not. I have a theory about fandom. Okay, and maybe okay. some of your listeners will identify with this. I don't know. I I've, I've espoused this many times, as you guys know. I don't think that true fans need to be rational. Ooh. I don't think that that's a requirement okay. of being a true fan. I don't. I think people become way too sophisticated about sports and don't have enough fun. Part of sports is fun. We need to have fun watching sports. And part of that is believing your team can win. Now, if you're, if you're a Sixers fan, for example, you knew they weren't going to win this year. Hey, right? that's <laughs> hey on, I'm Josh. sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, but, but if your team is good and they legitimately have a chance and you can really believe – this is why I picked the Virginia Cavaliers to win the – I mean, my bracket every year because I can make a, a somewhat rational case and in, in how unfair the tournament is. You, you know, I mean, who knows, you know? But um, with the Spurs, I believe that they had a chance, very good chance to win. I believe that, that they were going to win um, the series versus the Warriors that they had Kawhi. And so that's why I'm hoping if we can talk about some of the, of the Spurs offseason moves that um, – my belief there kind of plays in that that they were already arguably the better team in the seven game series in the playoffs, but <laughs> okay, it didn't um, work out. So, a couple things. I think we should state for the record that even with Kawhi, the majority of basketball analysts probably thought the Warriors were going to win. Um, but I have a question for you, Josh. Do you feel like you, given what you just talked about being a sports fan? 
and also that we we talked about how you're a statistician do you feel like you're able oh. to do you feel like you're able to separate those two things where i think in the statistics world you probably try to rely specifically on objective data and if something is a 60% chance to happen you say it happens a majority of the time whereas if it's a 40% chat chest shot you'll say it'll happen a minority and you won't you won't predict it um it sounds like in the sports fan sense you're willing to maybe blur those lines and just go ahead and predict that your team will win can you talk to me about the the contrast between those two things sure so if listeners don't know i'm a statistician and i've actually done some work in sports uh, statistics um i am currently a um I guess, a uh, minority owner of a baseball statistics analytics um, uh, company. And we do uh, basically relating uh, pitching or, me- or pitch mechanics to injury. And we have um, a youth business, a, devel- a development business, and also a consulting business. It's, it's a startup, so we haven't gone very far. But anyway, it's called Delivery Value System. Um, I've also done some work with, with, with a, another company in the baseball world, but I can't talk about it because it's, I'm under a, non, a non-disclosure agreement. But the, but the fact, and, and, but then that's not even my core business. My core business is in real estate statistics. So I do this all day long, all the time, and you're right. I have to make decisions based on the data, and I try to be very objective um, and, and, and just go where the data leads. But, but, Part of the fact that I have to do this every day, all day, and I, I, I'm a consultant, so I, I'm, I'm putting in a thousand consulting hours a year plus in this. I, I code all of my work, so I'm writing tens of thousands of lines of code every year, doing my stuff. When you do this kind of thing for a living, it's kind of nice to have an escape where you don't have to be as serious about the numbers all the time. And for me, that. sports is that escape. Um, so. That's how I look at it. I hear that. Ooh. Yeah, for sure. yeah, I like that idea of like your pastime being a little bit of your fantasy land that you can go to to get away from that just pure hard yeah, analytical. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, people in sports take themselves way too seriously. It's it's a game. Now, if you're playing the sport, obviously, I played sports in college. I was, I mean, I was a college baseball player. When you play sports in college or you play sports competitively when you're in the game, that's different. It's, it's, it, it consumes your life. But then when you're just a fan, just, you know, my take is just, I mean, just be a fan, have some fun with it. Don't take it too seriously. Um, if your hobby is analyzing the numbers, like, like I know Ray is, is really into this, then that's, then that's, that's wonderful. And make that your escape and make that your hobby. But um, I don't think people should take uh, sports too seriously. I think they should, they should be, um, some allowance made for people to believe in their team and believe um, that maybe even the impossible can happen. I appreciate that answer, Josh. Um, I think I would be remiss. I think a lot of our listeners might be upset at us. Uh, if given this, we didn't ask you a question. Um, so th- so okay. for all of our listeners, there's a, um, there's a theory hypothesis that, um, that Josh possesses incredible power. Oh boy. Um, when he makes a prediction, uh, that it makes uh, said prediction extremely unlikely to happen. Uh, the name for this is called the taint, the taint ladies. Um, and gentlemen. Yes. And it, it's I, real. 
<laughs> Whoa, Josh just okay. It's real. It is real. The, the is real, real thing. I well, I think we proved. I think we proved this this year with the Super Bowl. I mean, I, I, I uh, predicted. I said the game was over, uh, and look what happened. And um, that's when I decided. That's when I made the the announcement that this this hypothesis had been floated around for for many years that 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 uh, that I had some uncanny powers of 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 anti prediction. That's when I realized that there's something to it. So, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna argue with you. I there's there's some and maybe this maybe this kind of dovetails well with me not following the numbers with my um my fandom or my predictions or or whatnot. But there, there's something I don't know. We've so, we've been over. There's something going on. Yeah, and Josh, I would think it actually dovetails poorly with your philosophy because okay, if you predict your team to win all the time uh, when it, whenever it's reasonable and your prediction you believe causes them to lose but you want them to win oh. that would seem to be that would seem to be where the rubber hits the road yeah, that's a problem that's a problem <laughs> the only problem is that the reverse taint doesn't really work if you want it to work okay so so you can't then you, you're in a bad yeah. a, i mean then you're in a position where you just have to throw your hands up and say ah i hope that i do whatever i can to avoid the bad mojo okay. <laughs> the heart the heart wants what the heart wants right yes it's the, and and sometimes the heart betrays itself so it's it seems like the taint does have that sort of like uh that power of like not being looked at, you know, it's kind of, uh, the, what, what's the, uh, it's not the Schrodinger thing, but it's like, you can't measure the, like both uh, the velocity and the position of Heisenberg uncertainty principle. It has yeah. this like unique quality of like only working when you're like looking sideways at it, not mm. when you're like looking directly at it or trying to influence it yourself. Yeah, the, you know, we could, we could hypothesize a lot, a lot about taint theory and we could get into, um, the, the conditions and, and and that's been done and and much ink has been spilled over this issue, um, but I I will agree just uh, that there's some there's something there and um, I hold powers that mere mortal men um, only dream of. So, um, well, yes. Um. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Which is maybe to I say I can't say I've ever dreamed of that power exactly, but I think it is a it's an uncanny thing. I will yeah. agree. Yeah. And I feel like maybe people could reach out to you and if they have a if they would like you to make a prediction on a on a series, you know. Particularly sure. if they want the uh, I mean if we predict the finals this year, I can do that. Okay. I mean, I, yeah. That's a good I um that's a good I, segue. But I do Yeah, but I it's a good segue. I do hope we can talk a little bit about the Spurs offseason and yeah. the potential for Chris Paul to be okay. a, a signee. So <laughs> you realize uh, you just your show. Your <laughs> you show, said that so. right after the taint thing. There's like zero percent chance he's gonna be yeah. on the Spurs now. Yeah. Well, so Josh, what do you? So what? Uh, what are your thoughts for the Spurs offseason? Do you want them to acquire Chris Paul? Do we lose you? My biggest problem with, yeah, my biggest problem. I was, I was taking a deep breath. My, what I love most about the Spurs, is our depth. 
we have this great bench depth and we have these, we can basically cycle in two lineups in and out. And, um, to my, to my biggest disappointments this year on the, on the Spurs were our two big men, which was, uh, Pau Gasol and Lamarcus Aldridge. Uh, Pau, I look, I mean, I hadn't been watching the Bulls for a couple of years. I, I mean, Pau is, is really declined. I mean, he is not the guy that he was five years ago. He's not even the guy that he was two years ago. He's really declined. He looked disjointed. Um, I mean, lost at times on on the court, and he wasn't the same guy that I remember watching with the Lakers for sure. Um, and that and that disappointed me to to a certain degree. And but then, Lamarcus Aldridge, he he seems to be a guy that, that 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 does good and puts up good numbers when he's the guy, when he's like like the main guy on, on the team. I think he thought that was going to happen when he signed with the Spurs originally because at that point, you know, Kawhi wasn't where he is now. And Lamarcus Aldridge just has this, he has a very one-dimensional game. He, 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 and he gets the ball, he posts up, he turns one way and tries a little fadeaway. It's the, it's from, the, it's from, the, it's from the left side normally. He does like, like the same move every time. I love him when he's on. He's incredible to watch, but does he really – uh, did not contribute how I expected a max player to contribute for this team. That said, I love our team how it is now. I, even though I have some problems with our big guys, if you look at it, uh, Chris Paul to acquire him, uh, and I'm not, I'm afraid he's injury prone. To acquire him, we're going to have to liquidate our bench, liquidate a lot of our depth which is going to hurt us more in the long run. The only way I would really consider the Chris Paul signing is if we determine that Tony Parker has, doesn't even have one year left. I think he might have a year or two left. If, he, if he's, if this ruptured uh, uh, quad is, is really, if it's really just, you know, done in any, it's not going to be the same, whatever, then we have to get a point guard. And Patty Mills is great, but I think he's more of a, he's, he's more of a backup energy point guard type guy more than, an everyday point guard, and I've always loved uh, Chris Paul. I think he's, he's he's my favorite point guard in the league. The league is full of hero ball uh, point guards. It kind of reminds me back in middle school when you're playing uh, basketball. The best player on the court gets the ball. He's the point guard, and he dribbles around a lot and tries to score, and he handles the ball 89% of the time. All the other kids are mad. That's like what I feel like if you're on a team with James Harden or Russell Westbrook or to even a lesser extent, you know, Kyle Lowry or some of these other guys, they're, they're, it's, um, you're, you're on a, oh, I can't forget about the Celtics, of, of course, with uh, Isaiah Thomas. You're on a team with these guys, and it's, 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 he's not a pure, these are, these are not pure point guards. They're two guards, they're two guards with good handles, and which are, and, and Chris Paul, I love Chris Paul. That said, I only go for him if we have no other real option out there that uh, we can get on the market that can replace Tony Parker for any – if we need to replace him uh, this year. I don't want to gut the whole team to get one guy. Yeah, that makes sense, Josh. I think realistically you would lose Jonathan Simmons. You would lose yeah, – he's gone. Um, you wouldn't re-sign Patty Mills you would definitely have to clear more space. Powell has an opt-in. Which we have I that assume, Murray kid. 
Yeah. We had the Murray kid. I forgot about him. I mean, he might be the guy that we get somebody bring him in in a couple of years. He's ready to take over the team because he looked pretty good in the playoffs. Yeah. And if you if they have faith in him, then just keeping Patty Mills around is probably a, a decent uh, way to kind of, you know, pass the baton there. Because um, obviously Patty can run in the That's offense. True. I definitely agree what you talked about on the with the big men. Um, I mean, on that note, do you think that the the Spurs style is kind of is uh, not working anymore? Pop has kind of a lot of teams are really only playing one traditional big, but Pop has I mean, they stuck won pretty hard with four two. games, right? I they, mean, how I mean the style is working. They won sixty some games. I mean, did. and they and they were and they were blowing out the Warriors before. That's uh, why I got hurt. So I don't think we have to reinvent the wheel here. I think the style is is still there. But do you think that they? So you so you really think with Kawhi that they had a good shot to beat the Warriors in that series? Yeah, of course. Yeah, okay. I think so. I mean, you saw it in Game One. They're about to win Game One. It was. I mean, Game One was was won. It was done. And then if you saw it in the, Game the Three and Game Four, they only lost by like twelve or fourteen points. You don't think that Kawhi could have you know put it up? a plus minus and turn that around and make those games uh, close. I think they would have I had mean, a shot of winning the series. I don't think they would have had a good shot of winning the series. You know what I mean? Like 30% maybe that might yeah. be higher than Ray. I, know what did I, I think I said yeah. this on air that it was probably smaller than that, but yeah, I would I'd have said maybe 15 or 10%. I just don't think that, that Powell, well, on the Powell and LaMarcus, I just don't think I mean, they're able to chase around Durant and Draymond, and the Warriors just space everybody out, and they they just run them ragged, and then they just make shots. And I think the Spurs yeah. could play like one, a couple good quarters. Maybe they could take it to six, but I don't. I don't know. I they did they were playing well that game, um, but I don't I don't think it would. I, I, mean, I love Kawhi, but I I don't think it would have held up. Well, I hear your argument. For sure, I understand it. I mean, it's a it's a beautiful thing to watch. Even though I hate it when they spread the floor, they they push the pace, they hit shots from the outside. It's it's it wears people down. I I get it. Yeah. Did you enjoy watching that game four? Because I watched that, Josh. Were you here, Ray? Did you watch it with me? Uh, oh yeah, you were like talking so. on the phone for a little bit though. Uh, it was so yeah, boring. It I mean, was I awful. enjoyed it, except for after the first quarter, they were down 12, and the Spurs just don't have the firepower to catch up. I mean, I understand why everybody thinks the Warriors are the, are the best team, in the, and they can't be beat even by LeBron, because they think there's just too many guns. It's a too many guns theory in basketball. There's just too many weapons. Somehow, one guy will be, if, even if one guy is cold, they still have three or four other good weapons they can use, and they'll win. That's the, that's the theory. It was and still like I guess it, it proves true. Like, yeah, I could appreciate like they were like you know making these shots and they were good plays, but the game itself was so boring. There was no excitement in like the outcome. Like maybe there's a little bit of like the the fun nature that you were talking about, like believing your team can win. Like I just don't believe like the other team could win in that situation, and that just made the game so boring. That's what I was like, saying about the playoffs because the whole playoffs were like this, right? Is is this isn't this kind of like capitalism though, Josh? The rich get richer, <laughs> the haves and the have-nots. Well, I've heard, and maybe you know more about this than I do, but I've heard the NBA has 
has changed the rules to where it's harder for teams to sign these max guys from other teams because the the uh, the current team has that much better odds of signing them to a contract because they can offer them even more money than what they used to. So it's the NBA is trying of, to yeah. prevent these like Justice League, Super Friend type teams from uh, coming into into uh, existence. It's mostly kind of window dressing the cap. The changes in the collective bargaining agreement, um, they, in theory, address parity, or they try to make um, the league, try to you know create more parity in the league. Um, and incumbent teams do have a slight advantage on like all free agents, but and a huge advantage on the top players, like the top 10 or 15 players that get awards, they can offer an extra year and higher raises. Um, but the truth is the league doesn't really care about parity because if they did, there's ways to basically like eliminating max contracts is the way to create parity because then instead of like Durant had to sacrifice a couple million dollars to go to golden state, um, you know, if there was no max contracts and somebody could have offered him $60 million, like the Sixers could have offered him $60 million or something, then he has to you know, pass up $30 million to go play with Steph Curry. Um, the league, you know, that's, that's not what the league is trying to do. But so, still with a cap, um, right? And but still with it. Yeah, so it would I mean, actually be, actually be a hard about, cap right now. There's a soft cap. Um, go ahead, Josh. It's important to remember that the league is a business and they want a marketable product. And the marketable product is, is individuals or teams with lots of good players. And so, um, I mean, I'm with you 100% on that. They they want they love this whole Cavs Warriors uh, trilogy thing. They love having the big threes. That that's that's the term now. The big threes on certain teams or, or the big four. They love um, the sort of uh, new point guard style of basketball where these guys put up crazy numbers and they have the ball in their hands all the time. So it doesn't matter if they turn the ball over five or six times a game. That's just like that's part of the course. It's kind of like uh, a little bit like the juice ball era in, in baseball. They would they like having guys that just put up a lot of, of crazy numbers and had the ball in their hands all the time, or they like having these teams that have lots of different options and it's a lot of fun to watch because you're going to see Steph Curry and Kevin Durant, the last uh, you know two former MVPs on the on the court at the same time. So I get that. I'm I'm well aware for sure. Um, on that note. Let's move into our finals predictions. Um, so we will all predict both who we think the winner, so between the Cavaliers and the Warriors in the NBA Finals, and how many games they will win. Um, uh, Court, do you want to kick us off? Ooh, going first. The position of power. Ah. Usually the best position to go in in these sort of things. <laughs> I think actually after Josh in this particular arrangement is probably the position of power easily i'll take one for the team here <laughs> you know that i stay up late to edit all these podcasts right <laughs> um i well i was gonna have a big reveal and so maybe we'll there's a little dramatic tension right now okay it's gonna be the warriors and too. four warriors and four. Oh man i'm on board they're just I gonna like it. crash it all <laughs> 
Warriors for easy mode. Cavaliers suck compared to the Warriors. They have Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant would easily have been the MVP if he wasn't hurt this year. Mm. Uh, Steph Curry is a good second best player to have. Uh, and then you have Draymond, too, who's really good at defense. And then you have Clay Thompson, who's off. Like, you know, he was a good third best player to have whenever yeah. they he was their third. Now he's their fourth best player. Are you kidding me? And the, you know, they have JaVale McGee. <laughs> they have Jaja. Oh, gosh. So I think that, like, let's see. I mean, in the, the Cavs Celtics series, like, it was pretty easy for the Cavs there. And I know, I know that the Cavs won last year. And I, that made me super glad. That was the, that was the greatest NBA finals that you'll ever watch. Doesn't matter what happens in this one. Uh, that victory means more to the Cavs than two Warriors victories in this like sort of trilogy or whatever people are calling it. Because um, that was an actually exciting series where it went to seven games and the games were like back and forth and stuff and we didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, but this time we know it's going to happen. It's going to be the Warriors in four. Easy mode. All right. that's There's some flames coming out of Court's chair right now. I uh, I like the hot take. I think that's a super hot take. I think that's, I think that's pretty good. Um, what do you think, Josh? What's your prediction? Well, I think whatever I say now is going to look incredibly reasonable compared to that prediction <laughs> that we just heard. Um, uh, I have some reasons to hate the Warriors. Okay. What number one, it beat my n- number one. They beat my Spurs in the Western Conference Finals. So. Uh, that's number one. Number two is that I have a thing for the 90s Bulls. Back before I, I watched uh, basketball, I just, you know, knew Michael and I watched the playoffs. And I, and I, you know, I was one of those guys that just would root for Michael because he was Michael and I love the Bulls. So um, I'm not a lifelong fan. I don't love the Bulls anymore, but I did back when I was a kid. So to me, I don't want the Warriors to ever be considered to be on the same level as the 95, 96 Bulls. Um, um, we have a lot a, of non-basketball I mean, fans. Just for Sorry to interrupt you. We have a lot of non-basketball fans on the podcast, and you mentioned a player on that team. You just said the first name of the player. You said Michael. Could you... Uh... <laughs> oh, excuse me. Um, for all those who are, don't follow anything, have their head in the sand for the last 20 years... Michael Jordan, you know, the greatest player ever, Jumpman, uh, Nike, Haynes, uh, uh, Raid, right? We know this guy. Perfect. Um, Space Jam. You press Space Jam. Is that okay? Is that good? Do we just bring yeah. it up? Yeah. Just, okay. As long as you put in good. Space Jam, that yeah. really gets everybody. Yeah. Oh, oh, right. Space Jam. Right. He beat the monsters. Yeah. So, um, so I don't, I don't want, than to be considered to be as good as the 90s Bulls. And I saw a thing on 538 today where it said that it, that that the Warriors have a chance to pass the 95-96 Bulls and peak ELO rating for their uh, – in this playoffs because they've won every game in the playoffs so far. And so I'm rooting for the Cavs. I just – I can't help it because I hate the Warriors so much. I don't want them to go and pass the Bulls. And so, again, for me, this is not a head thing. It's a heart thing, like it is a lot of time with me in sports. And I'm going to predict the Cavaliers to win the trilogy, win the, uh, win the finals this year, and for the Cavs to win it in seven games. 
That would be, I guess, just like last year. Bold. Just like last year. I hope that happens. That would be... But based on my head and knowing about the taint, now I'm super worried. Josh, how would you say that this trilogy compares to Peter Peter Jackson's Hobbit trilogy? (laughs) Great question. Uh, Well, we've first had to figure out how many people are are watching the finals. That will tell us a lot about the the comparison. (laughs) Right. Going with the stats. Right. And and, And this is based on your... One of the ways in which you measure the value of the uh, program is by the viewership and uh, associated revenue. Is that right, Josh? Yes, yes, okay. that's 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 what I was referencing. That's okay. the there's not there's not a name for this theory, but there's there's definitely a correlation there. Okay. Except for when you include the Fast and the Furious series, in which there is no correlation between the quality <laughs> of the movie and the amount of money it makes in the theaters. Okay. So, okay, yeah. That might be, oh. <laughs> but every other piece of media or entertainment follows this theory besides yeah. the Fast and the Furious. Series. Well, I think Josh, I think another comparison to the Fast and Furious, Fury, uh, Fast and Furious series might be um, MMA. A lot of people watch that, but that's that certainly can't be any good, right? I'm not a cage fighting fan, so the, okay. the, the, if you're somebody that likes that, and if you're into watching that, that you go do that. But I'm not a cage fighting fan, though. No. Okay. Um, and and boxing too. But Cavs and seven. But Cavs and seven. That's my prediction. But bo- boxing um, too is also it's another be a fantastic series. <laughs> yes. Um. Yes. But is is boxing another uh, instance where a lot of people watch and it generates a lot of revenue, but it's really not quality entertainment like Fast and Furious series? Uh. <laughs> this is off topic. Uh, the fact that Floyd Mayweather made $250 million for the Manny Pacquiao fight, and the fight was not really a great fight in terms of it, the action, some people might take that to mean that that uh, this, this uh, disproves my theory um, and also um, is an affront to my love for boxing. And I don't know what to say in response to those people other than outliers happen. All right. I think that was a, a good response. Outliers um, happen. Malcolm Gladwell. We are sponsored by Malcolm, Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah, by Malcolm Gladwell's new book, which is called You Might Have Thought This One Thing, But Actually, It's This Other Thing. <laughs> Boom. Your world exploded. Um, on back to the finals. We I... uh, were the last person of this, this trilogy, which is Josh trilogy. Ray and I. Which uh, is entirely historically accurate to... Uh, J.R. Tolkien's ex narrative of okay. how this would happen. Super quick, if the three of us were the Hobbit books, which book would each of us be? Um, books? Wasn't only one book? <laughs> you mean the movies? You know what I mean. Lord of the Rings, whatever. Um, okay, Lord of the Rings. Be, I don't want to be Return He's of the King. He's obviously a fan. That's the last. Return of the King is the last one, right? Yeah, I'll be Return of the King. I'm fine okay. with that. Um, I'm Voyage of the Dawn Treader. <laughs> that was a good one, though. Which one are you, Josh? might be the best one in the series. Um, I'm a Two Towers fan. Okay. So, um, I mean, Two Towers, I, you know, I can't tell you why at the, at the present time. Maybe that's when Gollum was good, and I like to believe that everybody has a little bit of good in them. But I like that. I like that's that. all I have to say about that. 
Okay. Fair enough. So on that with that note, with that intro, I think Ray is finally he was during that whole time he was actually just like writing a few things on a spreadsheet and was calculating yeah. his final like odds yeah. on this right down um, to the minute for his yeah. prediction here. I'm actually using one That's of those impressive. calculators with a paper roll in it. Um, <laughs> those used to be called calculators. <laughs> yes. Um, I am going to go ahead and pick Warriors in five. I was torn between. Warriors in five and Warriors in six. I actually really admire Court for his Warriors in four prediction. I think that is what I would like to pick. Um, but logically, rationally, I can't legitimately say I don't think that the Cavs are going to win at least one game where they'll just shoot the lights out or something. Um, so it was between five and six. I'm going to go with five. I think the Warriors are a much better team. Um, I don't even think that we've seen the Warriors play at close to top level. I don't even think they've had to, to get to where they are right now. Um, I think we could see some Stephen Curry and Kevin Durant pick and rolls, which we haven't really seen yet, which are, would be devastating. Um, Clay Thompson hasn't been shooting well in the playoffs. If he starts to hit shots, that's a whole nother factor. Um, and Steph Curry is playing really well right now. Uh, and if both he and Durant are playing well, I think they're, Nearly unstoppable, uh, and then just uh, the defensive matchups for the Cavs are, are a problem. Kevin Love is going to be a liability whenever he's on the floor. Um, you know, I agree with that. Kyrie is is terrible defending the pick and roll, um, and so they can just work him. Um, who knows? Maybe they get you know they they definitely have some guys like Jr. could play really well and. Amon Shumpert could play really well, and Tristan Thompson's this good glue guy, and LeBron. Not, we, he's a nothing. Kardashian curse, though. I don't know if he's going to do that well, but. Say it again. Dead. No, never mind. Right. Dead. Um, and yeah, LeBron could just obviously, you know, destroy the earth for all we know. He's kind of a super, uh, a super person. Um, but I would have picked the. I also picked. I was confident the Warriors going to win last year too, and I was wrong. Um, and the way oh, the Cavs the now. Yes, yes. I think we have less data for my uh, for my uh, predictions, Josh. But Ray I'm, I'm also Ray also picks UVA to win every year in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> I mainly just asked Josh to pick it, <laughs> but um, well, I did the picking for you. So yes, yes. Um, so yeah, that's my prediction. Warriors in five. Uh, I think yeah, I'm not gonna be surprised if it's Warriors in five and six. Anything else? I mean, if if the Cavs, honestly, I, as a fan, I would love it to go seven. Whoever wins, um, and I would love for it just to be a competitive series and to see what LeBron can do and if he can just elevate. And I do think I do think no offense, Josh, that this Warriors team is better than those Bulls teams. Um, and so I would actually like for the record to show that by them winning a championship. I think even um, if they win it in four, they're not as good as those Bulls teams. I disagree. Well. Luke Longley was on that team. Yeah, and so is Michael <laughs> Jordan. Michael Jordan, who everybody knows, even if they don't know about basketball. And I still made Josh <laughs> explain who Michael Jordan was. And I feel a little bit bad about that, but still. And no, I gave I his three endorsement deals. So no, I think that was it good. It should be an endorsement deal. So I guess maybe that might have... He's um, somebody who... You're never just going to be like Steph. And people are going to be like, oh, you mean Steph Curry? I think that that's guy. what people do now. 
No, guys, I got kind of confused because my friend is named Steph. Yeah, so, so also have a if friend. you guys will let me, just give me some uh, some time here. I'd like to provide the counter-argument to see you guys are both for the Warriors. Yeah. And I, I understand why. I hear your argument. It's not a bad argument. I don't think it's crazy. I think Warriors in four is crazy. But I don't think it's crazy, but I... I just want to provide the counter argument for this, okay? The Warriors are never going to hit on all cylinders because they have too many good players on the court and there's only one basketball. Clay Thompson hasn't been shooting well because he's not getting enough. He's getting the cinema of shots as before, but the ball's never in his hand. So he's not in rhythm. He's a shooter. Uh, so the, he's, the, the, uh, and the Warriors are are a perfect example of that the whole is not the sum of the parts. Because, but it doesn't matter because they have so many good parts, they're still extraordinarily good. They're never going to quite be as, as good as what they would be individually if they were on teams where the offense were to feed through them. I understand that they can play off each other, they can, they can run and gun and get open and all that, and they can shoot. I, get, I, mean, that's, I mean, I get that. But I don't think that they, they quite – are able to be as at peak capacity as if you will. They're always going to run 89% capacity, I think, because of that. Um, secondly, Steph Curry is not a good defender. He is, in my opinion, a little bit soft. And Agreed. I think the NBA Finals, especially especially since especially with with a, a good team versus a good team like the Cavs, a physical team, a strong team. I think that they, they, um, he's going to wear down and get beat around a little bit, and he's not going to be quite as good as what he would be in a series where he doesn't have to face that level of physicality. Uh, so um, they have a couple of different things that I think make them vulnerable. And if you watch them a couple of times in the Spurs series, they're playing against a depleted lineup. No Tony Parker, no Kawhi Leonard. Offense, they're trying to figure it out. And Lamarcus Aldridge was was not great every game, and they still weren't, you know, beaten by 30 points. I mean, in the last two games, I mean, three games, I think they won the first, third, and fourth game by less than 15 points each game. And so, if you if if you watch them at times in that series, they turned the ball over a lot. They were looking at each other, some like. Well, I thought you were passing the ball to me. I thought, I mean, I thought you were going to shoot. You know, a little bit of that. And you, and you can see that there's, at times, trouble in paradise. So I'm not – I think that they are vulnerable to some degree and that we shouldn't be too quick to say that the super team is going to win in four or five games. I think that's, I think that's reasonable. I think you're hitting at the, the team chemistry issues that you're, that you're uh, perceiving. Uh, and I guess you feel like the Cavs don't really, don't really have those issues. Is that right, Josh? Well, I'm not making I'm not making the affirmative case for the Cavs necessarily. <laughs> I didn't say that. Okay. The Cavs look. The last 20 games of the regular season, the Cavs look terrible. I mean, really. I mean, I was, I thought they weren't going to make it to the. I mean, I thought they were. I thought they were done probably second round of the of the, of the playoffs at that point. They looked really bad. So I mean, they have it in them too, but they looked a, a lot better since. And uh, Kyrie and LeBron have a way of kind of turning it on when it matters. And this is a series when it happens. And they do have more bigger physical bodies in there because 
I know McGee and uh, I can't even say his name. The guy that I took out Kawhi. These guys, Jaja. they they look yes, Jaja. Uh, yeah, they they don't <laughs> they don't um, they're not incredibly intimidating offensive or defensive uh, threats uh, down low. And so the way to beat the Warriors is slow the game down, rough them up, uh, make it a physical game. Uh, let Kyrie and LeBron uh, play off each other and hope to get something out of Kevin Love because I, I agree, it's not a good playoff matchup for him. He doesn't really have – he's too much on the outside and he's not going to be able to guard someone like uh, Draymond Green. So I don't think he's going to be like he was last year. He might disappear a little bit. If they can get 20 points out of him on a decent percentage, that will help them. But – I'm not making the affirmative case for them. I'm just saying that, that, that there's a formula to beat these Warriors teams, and they have a vulnerability. And if the Cavs can exploit it, I wouldn't be so quick to say that they're going to win the series, especially not in four or five games. I get it. You're saying that the Warriors probably aren't going to win, and the Cavs, they're the team that's there, so they're going to have to win because <laughs> you're doing like the it. negative yeah. case. I like that, yeah. I like it. Process of deduction, you know. Process of elimination like here. You can argue from both sides, you know. um all right so i feel pretty good about our finals predictions um uh another we also wanted to ask josh while you're on notice this is a little early but there's still some action happening in charlottesville with uva basketball there's some recruiting there's some transfers and commitments and things that I can't really talk about or understand. Right. Ray is trying to ask you a question here, and he was trying to trick me into asking you a question, but we actually don't have any questions for you regarding your predictions actually, about UVA basketball. I do have a question. We Josh. don't want to hear if you think they're going to be good next year or anything like that. So, Josh, so for I'm next actually year... I'm pretty concerned about UVA basketball, but... Well, what do you... How do you think they're going to... How do you think UVA basketball is going to do next year, Josh? No. I'll take the... Look, I'll take the bait on this. I will take the bait. On I appreciate you asking this question, and this is going to lose us and, and listeners. It. You have true motives. Um, I'm actually really concerned about UVA basketball. Oh yeah, I why are you concerned? Love our system. Well, I. This is more. I'm gonna give you more of a big picture now. So I'm not. I'm not like you know. If you want to go talk to Luke, he uh, Luke Near, he has. He'd be a great a great guest for your podcast or if people care about UVA basketball. I don't have um, the insider information about who's going to be signing. I don't follow each player and and the decisions. I just, in a few sentences, I love watching our our style of play. I think it is refreshing for college basketball. I think that we execute it well and we're going to be in the mix every year to make the tournament and, you know, get past the first round. But, even though I think the tournament is inherently unfair and bogus and not fun to watch. That's, that's, that's another argument for another time. But uh, UVA's, we, we seem to never have the offensive spark of, of a closer, someone who can score the ball. Malcolm Brockton, obviously, we all love him. He was great. But um, we don't have enough guys like him to really be – I just I watch this, and every year I think, man, we don't have enough firepower to win these games. When we get behind, we we can't come back. And it's just it, that's the part that I get concerned about. But I love our 
team, if we have a legitimate shot, I'm always going to pick us because in the NCAA tournament, no team has more than about a 5% chance to win the whole thing anyway. So why not go with the team you love? I, I would argue maybe higher than that for some of these teams that are really good. But, yeah, like even when Kentucky was like undefeated and all that, they only had like a 50% shot and they were like amazing. They ended up actually losing. So I guess, you know. So it sounds like what I'm hearing, Josh, is that you don't really believe in the Cavs anymore. Is that right? Again, I'm going to take the bait. I, I will always root and believe in us. The problem is, the problem is that we. I don't think it's our style. I'm actually afraid that players don't want to come. That the really good offensive talent don't want to come because of our style. I could be wrong, but um, we don't. It, there's not that spark offensively to be able to score enough points to compete um, consistently. I mean, I feel dumb saying this when we every year we're, you know, you know, ranked every year and we beat and we, we do beat some good teams and we, and we we're we're in the upper echelon now of, of college basketball. I just want to see us get some more sharpshooters some more guys that can score off the ball and and score in isolation. That's all I'm saying. All right. But you think they're probably, do you think they're going to make the tournament next year? Absolutely. <laughs> and when they get into the tournament, I think we're going to be, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if we make the NCAA tournament for the next 10 years in a row. Okay. Honestly, because uh, I mean Bennett is so consistent. I don't see him going anywhere. We're gonna be this part. We're gonna wear guys down. Josh, it doesn't matter what you're saying right now. After that, <laughs> this part is just getting cut out of the thing that gets released. So, so for okay. the next, all right, that's fine. just because that's too much taint. That's the not going anywhere. Even the ten years thing, I was willing to leave it at that. But if you're saying he's not going anywhere, can't have that out on the record. So okay, well, so if they you know, make it the next. Um, if they make it, there the are next... basketball podcasts that do cover UVA basketball, and I'll I'll let them. I'll okay. defer to them to discuss okay. any more about the team. Well, thanks for sharing your thoughts on that, Josh. And then, um, I do want to be respectful of your time. I know we're sort of at your limit, but um, East as, Coast man, as was gets al- later, they're faster. As was alluded to earlier in the podcast, Josh uh, did play collegiate and. Um, some independent league baseball, uh, making him the most accomplished athlete ever to join half court and mid range. Yeah, as uh, a guest. As a guest. <laughs> um, and so, um, which I think is awesome. And both uh, Court and I take a, uh, a a lot of interest in minor league baseball, and we've written some blogs about it. Every uh, we blogged a little bit about it. Uh, so, Josh, if you would be interested in sharing a little bit about uh you know what it's like to be a college i mean particularly an independent league ball player i'm kind of fascinated by that world so if there's anything that you want to share i'd be excited to hear about it yeah sure i mean i have time here's the thing um college baseball is a completely different experience than affiliated minor league or independent league baseball it's a completely different experience. It's like it's like it's like night and day in, in most cases. Um, the kind of facilities you're going to find out at the college level are more comparable to like really more like a notch down from major league uh, facilities. Uh, not in terms of the fan capacity, but in terms of, of the player amenities 
they're they're more like major league parks. Obviously, not as not as good, but more like major league parks than uh, minor league parks. Um, so the the player experience is completely different, and you see, you know, players that get out of my leagues or major leagues, whatever, they always identify with their college. They don't they don't identify with their minor league team or their or their independent ball team because the, because it's just not the same culture, not the same environment, not the same quality of playing experience, not the same uh, bond you form with the players, your age, whom you whom you live with and go to school with and spend all that time with. It's just a completely different experience. It's much more individualistic than college, which is a team game, um, and you're taught to be a team. And so you always remember that, and you always keep it with you. Even though I, I, I thank you for allowing me on the podcast and um, and uh, saying what you said. I, I'm not. Um, I, you know, I played it. I played at UVA, and I'm very proud of our team and our performance. We've now made our 14th straight NCAA tournament, which is. Um, I think one of the longest active streaks in Division One baseball, and we have the most wins of any Division One program in the 2010s at this point in time. I don't know if you guys uh, knew that, and we have one of the highest win totals um, since I think the highest win total since like 2003 or 2004 when O'Connor took over. So. Um, I couldn't find the stats on that, but I, I read that in an article the other day. So we have a great, a great program. I had a great experience. I wasn't the top, you know, I wasn't the top guy that got, that got drafted and everything, but, you know, I pitched for a great staff. I had some great experiences and it was a great experience. I mean, college baseball is, is a great experience. It's a lot of work. So I thought about this because I, I, I thought I might be asked about this and I, I want to say a couple, a couple of things about college baseball beside what I already said. Number one is that it is, uh, incredibly, it, it requires an incredible sacrifice. Really, really any college sport requires an incredible sacrifice from the player in, in order to compete in that sport because you have to do everything that the, everything really that everybody else is doing. But on top of that, you have, you know, during the season, like a 40-hour-a-week job. And then in the off-season, you have a 25-roughly-hour-a-week job. And uh, there's a physical element to that job as well as, as also the pressure of, of, you know, playing in front of, of fans and, um, and you have, you know, coaches that ask a lot of you and have lots of, of rules. So it's a, it's a, it's an incredibly grueling experience. And there's no, and there's not, no surprise that, you know, people that come out and they have a bond with the people they went through the, the experience with. And at the same time in that crucible, you, you, you get to, you know, create, some of the best experiences, some of, some of the best friends you, you'll ever have from being in those situations. So um, I'll, I'll never forget when our program turned around. This is just the one story I have. I could tell lots of stories. But when our program turned around, it was March of 2014. It was O'Connor's first year as coach. We traveled down to Atlanta to play uh, Georgia Tech. And we went down there, and they were, you know, again, they had uh, – Micah Owings, they had a uh, really great program. They had been, you know, nationally ranked for many years. And they they had, um, I mean, you know, uh, Mark Teixeira played there. So they had a lot of great uh, players, a lot of great uh, great history. And they, and, and, and they were ranked and we were not. And we went in there and we swept them all three games. 
and I mean, down at their place. And when we got on the bus, everybody knew that something was different. Everybody knew that this was a, was a turning point for the program, a turning point for our team, which we had good players before that, but before O'Connor, we, we just couldn't put it all together. We were basically a 500 team and, you know, below 500 in the ACC. And then we just knew something was different. And from that point on, it it was different. We hosted a, a regional that year. The top, If you don't know the, the top 16 teams in college baseball host a regional, we, we were robbed of one this year in UVA baseball, but, Anyway, that's beside the point. Uh, uh, that's, just, that's just one story of playing college baseball. And after I got, after I got, I got uh, out of college, excuse me, I went into independent baseball. So I didn't get drafted, whatever. And a lot of guys, if they want to complete their careers, they go play independent baseball. And it's really exactly like the minor leagues, and it's really good baseball. It's in many cases, if you went to an independent league game, you wouldn't know if you were in a in a, an affiliated park or 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 an um or an independent minor league park because the teams look the same, the the whole experience is the same. It's just some are just are just you know run independently by a set of owners, and some are affiliated with the major league team. And so um, I went. I played in Texas. I I had some good games. Got traded up to uh, Michigan. I got hurt. Uh, didn't make the team. And then a few more tryouts, and my career was over. But in the in, in the minor leagues, the experience is is again, like I said before, so different from in, in college. I just want to contrast that with you. In college, you take you know playing. Uh, flight places in the minor leagues, unless you're in triple a, or I think maybe, maybe double a, you don't fly anywhere. Um, in college, you would fly, we had a rule. We would fly if it was at least eight hours to drive someplace. So we would fly to, you know, Miami, Georgia tech, um, et cetera, et cetera, Florida state, uh, you know, Boston college, they would fly there anyway. The point is, in the minor leagues, you bus everywhere. The, the facilities are really bad. I mean, I signed with this independent ball team. I signed my contract on the table in the locker room that was that was a like a car table that was later on going to have the the pregame uh, spread on it. And uh, we had two showers in the whole locker room, like single showers, for all the players. The locker room was dirty, filthy, smelled, it was terrible. And you walk right out of the locker room and, you're, and you step your foot right on the concrete to walk out to the stadium. There was like no tunnel, no batting cages, no, no nothing. So it's a, it's a completely different experience. We travel on the bus, you know, 25 guys on a bus that was really more like, could comfortably really seat probably like 15 or 20 guys. And so people were like, sitting on basically like on top of each other, not really, but it's just, it's a completely different experience. Um, and it's, it's not a good experience. And the hotels you stay in are bad. They're like, you know, you know, seaside motel. It's, it's stuff like that. Just, uh, you know, 30, $40 night, you know, days in type places. Um, Whereas in college, you get, obviously you're, you're staying at a nicer hotel. So it's, like I said before, the college life, 
in playing baseball is completely different from the minor league life. And this is something that they don't tell kids, really, who come out of high school and go into uh, play professional baseball because they're missing out on that college experience. They're also missing out on, on uh, the experience of playing college baseball and getting to meet these guys and play for a great program where you actually have, have a team mindset and you get to have nice facilities and nice travel arrangements and, you know, coaches that are concerned with development, et cetera, et cetera. In professional baseball, the, the managers don't care about development for the most part. They care about um, fielding the best team on the field. They want their team to win. Um, guys care about individual at-bats. They want to they want to get hit. They want to get the stats up so they can go on to the next level. It's not a it's – a, it's a different kind of environment, and the facilities are terrible. Um, so anyway, that's a little, that's a, just, just a couple of stories about minor league baseball versus college baseball and the difference there. And maybe yeah. some of your listeners that, that, are, that are focused more on basketball or more on sport, have it, have those experiences, would maybe would know more about, or maybe now know more about uh, minor league baseball versus college baseball. And, yeah. um, and one thing I, I want to say about, about, about minor league baseball, the pay is terrible. It's terrible. So guys have this impression of like guys that you know sign professional contracts and they're they're all living off the signing bonus and they're doing really well and whatever. Everybody I know that made the minor leagues, uh, they got drafted and went to the minor leagues. Almost everybody that I knew was in the off season working odd jobs trying to stay afloat during the season. They're not making hardly. They're making like you know, a thousand. $1,200 a month, $1,500 a month, just during the season, not in the off season. And that signing bonus doesn't last very long. So, and most guys don't get a very big signing bonus. So minor league guys really, really pay a, a price to stay in this uh, for a long period of time. And um, they put their lives on hold and it's a, it's a big sacrifice. And it, it's all for the chance that they'd be one of those five or 10% of the players that end up making the major leagues and uh, really getting that big money. But the, the line between the majors and the minors is just a huge gap, huge, a huge gap in, in quality of life and also a huge gap in money. You're making yeah. 15, 20, 30 times as much per game in the majors as a first-year player starting out um, with no service time versus a guy in the minor leagues. Yeah. So yeah, big that, difference there. That um, Thanks for sharing all that, Josh. That yeah. – that, that, um... I probably haven't thought. I've definitely heard stories about it, but I haven't thought as much about the the comforts of minor league baseball compared to college and how uh, drastic a difference that was. But that that definitely makes a lot of sense. And I think for a friend for a for a not a top prospect who's not going to get a huge signing bonus, that that like should probably be a big factor in their decision. Right. Um, one thing I actually <clears throat> wanted to ask about Josh is you talked about how colleges were interested in development um or more more focused on player development i i think there's a lot of i mean maybe this is particular programs but there's a lot of t chatter around how certain college programs um over pitch their guys uh, i think maybe rice is an example of this but you might know better than me um in the interest of like winning the championship or their league or what have you, and they these guys have these crazy pitch counts, and then maybe they throw out their arm. Whereas at least with your top prospects in the minors, um, it seems like the 
the clubs are pretty protective of their arms and keep them on pretty you know manageable pitching limits. I'd be interested to hear it because that was one thing where I, I thought that some colleges might actually be worse in terms of player development, but I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on that. Well, um, I've heard that, I've heard that about Rice as well, but I don't know. I haven't looked. I haven't thought much about that in a while. I know that at UVA, I only remember a couple of years ago, uh, Danny Holston, who was our like number one overall, maybe number two overall in in the 2011 draft. He was pitching in the College World Series and he was sick or wasn't feeling well or whatever, and we pulled him out after like third inning, and it was a big, big uh, you know hullabaloo who made around that decision. Um, to pull him out of the game, it was because that 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 could have kind of about what was best for Danny. Um, even though even though it could have you know cost us the, the game, and, and ultimately that the argument was made that we, you know, didn't go for the juggler or, or didn't try to win and didn't sacrifice enough to win or whatever. Um, so uh, I don't think that every team does that. I never got the impression that I was in college that they that anybody was interested in, in winning to the point where they were going to you know, make some money get hurt. Every pitcher plays through pain all the time. They don't show it. They don't, you never know it on TV. There are guys that n- never go on the DL that they're going through aches and pains. They're, they have, you know, chronic inflammation in their arms and they're just barely getting by and you never know because they want to play. Or they, don't, or they don't want to get cut if they're in the minors or they're in independent baseball. So they're, they're, they're not going to let on what's going on. And, and so guys are always fighting through that. And, you know, I never, I never saw a, a thing where, you know, I thought the coaches, at least at UVA, were going to put anybody in, in harm's way to, to uh, win a game. They're pretty, you know, cognizant of that. I, it, the, the difference in player development is that in college, the coaches are really coaches. Like they, they get – during practice, you run drills and they, and they, they instill values and they sit with the guys. And it's, it's um, not something that you see in every minor league. Um, in a, I mean, every minor league team, a lot of these minor league teams have managers. And the managers are primarily concerned with making the lineup and um, moving the pieces around in the games to win. They, and remember, in the, in the minor leagues, their basic development philosophy is you play every day, you, you get better. That's the philosophy. In college, you play four games a week or five games a week, four or five games a week until you have at least one practice day. And then you have practices. You have two practice periods, one in the fall, one in the winter before the season starts. So you actually have practices. Minor league teams don't practice. Like they, don't have, they don't have practices. They have batting practice before the games, but it's, it's not – really an organized team practice where you work on things as a group. It's more like the guy gets a, there and gets his cuts and goes back to the, the, to the, the, the uh, dugout into the locker room. It's more, again, Miley baseball is like an individualistic game. Um, now, about the, about the pitch counts, players in college pitch every seventh day once a week. Players in the minors pitch every fifth day. So, um, you pitch more innings per unit of time in the minor leagues and you pitch on a more rigorous schedule. And that's an adjustment for some guys that are used to pitching every seventh day in college. So you have to take that into account when you look, you look, you look at number of innings and all that because these guys are, um, 
are uh, are pitching more often in the minor leagues. I have a question for you that's a little bit out of left field, but uh, have you ever read the novel The Art of Fielding? Can I tell you something? <laughs> yeah. I don't read books. <laughs> so, so the answer is no. Three girls. My wife had these three girls in our house this weekend that were like girlfriends from North Carolina. That you know, she when she moved there before we moved back to Virginia, that she uh, knew really well, and they had like these like periodic girls weekends. And they were in town our this past weekend for a girls weekend, and this one girl had said where she had read like. 16 books this year so far. And I told her, I don't think I've read 16 books since high school. Like, I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I can't get into books. So it's hard for me to read novels. It's, it's really, really hard. All right, go on, go on. Well, I, I only asked, I didn't know that you didn't read books. Uh, if I had known that, then I might not have asked about this one in particular, but it, the, it's it, the premise is it's about a, a college baseball team. Um, a smaller college than EVA, so it sounds like the facilities aren't as nice. But uh, y- yeah, I was just wondering if that was uh, in in your psyche and in yeah, a way. I should say I'm comparing these minor league teams to uh, Division One college facilities, unlike big and big conference uh, college baseball. If you compare the minor league parks to, you know, I don't know, Longwood's baseball facilities, I'm making this a, or maybe like like Old Dominion or one of these smaller schools in Virginia or maybe Virginia Tech. I don't know. I don't know. What the, or, well, not <laughs> although when I was playing, they didn't have anything. It was, it was really sad. But anyway, the, <laughs> the, the point is, the point is there are some teams that their facilities are non-existent like they have in the minors and that, you know, I, they don't have any of the fan interaction in the, in the games that, that make it to make it fun. So I can, I can see how the player experience wouldn't be at those schools from an amenity standpoint, although you still have the team camaraderie and the, and all that kind of thing that you did. And so, but anyway, um, yeah. I should make that distinction. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, thanks so much for joining us, Josh. I think we're probably of course. nearing the end of this episode. Do you have any, um, yeah. parting thoughts about anything we talked about or, or anything else? You're gonna really have to edit this thing down. So, well. uh, good luck to you on that. <laughs> we don't actually edit anything. That's the secret of this podcast. When I, when I, really. <laughs> so that's just all gonna be in there. Yeah. Well, Raw. there's gonna oh, be like, all a, right. Yeah. So. Well, it was a. It was a. Well, I want to say in part in that it was a. Um, a privilege being on the ACC Degenerates podcast uh, oh. uh, today. <laughs> that's such a hard and, burn. Uh, what? That's such a hard burn, Josh. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Half court, mid range. <laughs> I, I, I got the names. I got the, the, got the names mixed up there. Um, oh, I knew that was the other one that I had heard of, but man, oof, man. Yeah. Wow, that hurts, Josh. That hurts on the inside. Yeah. Well, we can look at it as as a either a slight on on ACC basketball degenerates or <laughs> or a I don't know how you want to look at it. I mean, I, I or a slight on us. It, yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> I, I think we brought. I think we've now brought this podcast to a a new level. Something that they're going to have to now aspire to live up to. Gotcha. So I think that in this, I think we're we now raise the bar. Um, 
Let me ask you a couple, a couple of things before I go. Thank you for having me. Number one, number two, uh, go Cavaliers. I mean, remember Cavaliers in seven. You heard it first here, uh, right here, and um, the Spurs, uh, my Spurs. Um, I'm hoping we stay put in the in the off season. Don't make any big moves and rock the boat. We have good chemistry. We have a good team here. Um, so unless we can somehow figure out a way to clear some space and get some and get somebody without you know pulling the whole team apart, I um, I know uh, we should stay put. And yeah, you know, I love Manny Ginobili. I should have said this earlier. I have a thing for aging stars, and I love watching him play in the finals. I'm not listen. The playoffs, I should say, the Western Conference Finals. It was incredible watching him play and seeing a few flashes of his greatness, his uh, previous uh, greatness. And so, I, for nostalgic, for nostalgic reasons, I'm hoping he, I mean, he comes back for one more year and gives us another go. But we'll see what happens. I have a thing for aging stars as well, uh, Josh. We really appreciated your time uh, that uh, you spent talking to us tonight. Um, it was really. Uh, nice little change up and nice to hear your perspective on things. We thank you for joining us. A nice pitching metaphor like that. Well, thanks, Josh. Uh, we will thank talk you. to you soon. <laughs> All right. Have a good rest of your podcast. Thanks. It's, uh, really nice having Josh on, huh, Ray? Yeah, it was uh, good to hear his thoughts on basketball, which were, uh, I thought, pretty in-depth and uh, well thought out and about his uh minor league uh experience and his uh appreciation for peter jackson he did he did do a few of those lord of the rings things there which kind of went over my head he did i know that you said the c.s lewis book though yeah i did wait a minute so does he he only watches he said he doesn't read any books so he only watches the movies that's right i guess that's right (laughs) (laughs) all right well uh this was an exciting episode and a new guest uh, guest appearance here, and we would like to thank all our listeners for listening. Oh, oh we do have – Ray has an additional thing that he's really excited about real that he quick. wants to talk about um, real quick. Yes. Um, on a previous episode of the podcast, we asked listeners to submit um, what Paul Millsap meant to them, um, and we said we would read it on the podcast because we're bad at – that doing things uh we didn't do it the last podcast so i would like to read the two submissions that we had we forgot about it last podcast ray has the two submissions from our listeners thank you for submitting these um all right this one's from pick and joel noted guest just listen to the pod nice work in response to the query what does paul sat uh, Millsap mean to me paul Millsap is a party animal who single-handedly sapped pun intended the non-mormon fun out of salt lake city when he left Though certainly not from northern Nevada. Long live cowboy poetry. That's nice. Yeah. He's a big cowboy poetry fan. That's pick and roll. Yeah. And then... That guy reads books. Yeah. He does. He does. And then Olin, who also probably reads books, and I think is one of our most loyal fans, um, or at least the person who asked me about things on the podcast the most... Maybe outside of Amy, I want to shout her out too because I think she, I'm yeah. going to give a shout out to Stefan. <laughs> Stefan often uh, talks to me about the podcast, okay, nice. and maybe I just see him more because I live right next door to him and I don't work with Olin like you work with Olin. Yeah, nonetheless, Olin, 
awesome dad, awesome person, awesome uh, listener to the podcast, responded to me, Paul Millsap is a talented but widely but not widely acknowledged player. If he was a U.S. senator, I would compare him to Mark Warner. If he were a Chipotle salsa, I would compa- call him the corn slash medium. If he were a composer, he would be Brahms. Wow, a Mark Warner shout out on the podcast. Yeah. Mark Warner is a little bit more well known to me because he's from Virginia, but you yeah. know that's how. I'd I'd be interested to hear a listener response to the Paul Millsap Mark Warner comparison. Well, thank you, Olin and Joel, for submitting, and um, maybe we'll come back to y'all sometime after the finals. That's weird. Uh, so yeah, we'll we'll come to you after this uh, series wraps up in four games with the Warriors winning it. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, I'm Court. I'm Ray. And have a good night. Thank you.